Chapter Nine of That Affair at Portstead Manor by Gladys Edson Locke. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Accusations Lady Ursula was trailing down in negligee, holding high a lighted candle which cast a pale halo about her beautiful, tense face, but served only to emphasize the gloom of the library. She came with slow and doubtful step, as though dreading what she might meet there. When she saw Mr. Clavering, wide-eyed at the foot of the stairs, an expression of immense relief, tinged with a vague annoyance, swept over her features. "'Oh!' she exclaimed. "'It's only you!' "'Only? Archibald Clavering?' He might have resented the implication, had he not remembered her state of mind, which could well excuse her from little distinctions of speech. "'I heard some commotion down here,' she explained rapidly. "'Is anything the matter?' Something surely was the matter with Mr. Clavering's sense of discretion, else he would never have blurted out to an overwrought woman. "'The manor has been broken into!' The moment he had spoken he would have given much to recall this startling announcement, and he fully expected her to scream or faint. She did neither, however. Instead, she went to the garden door and tried the lock. "'You must be mistaken,' she said quietly. "'The door is locked.' "'The person—it was a woman—had a key and locked it after her.' "'Nonsense, Mr. Clavering,' she protested, with an attempt at a smile. "'Burglars don't lock doors after themselves. You must tell a better story than that, or I shall believe that you have had the nightmare.' "'That is a malady from which I am happily free,' he returned with dignity. "'This person, this woman, came first into my chamber, for what purpose I cannot imagine, and escaped through the secret door.' "'The secret door?' her voice rang high. "'What do you mean, Mr. Clavering?' He felt that he should be more considerate of her nerves. She was trembling violently, but he could not let pass the imputation of nightmare, so his answer was strictly to the point. The woman must have gone by some secret door. Both doors of my chamber were locked, and she could hardly have escaped by a window. Have you never heard of a secret passage to that room, Lady Ursula? Oh, I have heard some servants gossip of there being secret passages here. There are in most old houses, she murmured vaguely. But I have never felt interested in them. It is my belief that they were stopped up years ago. At this juncture, Mr. Clavering suddenly darted to the outer door and peered through the dripping glass. Did he hear above the howling of the wind through the garden spaces the sound of carriage wheels on the driveway, or was it merely fancy? The darkness was impenetrable now that the lightning has ceased. "'What is the matter now, Mr. Clavering?' demanded Lady Ursula nervously. "'You are positively uncanny to-night.' "'I thought the storm was coming back,' he prevaricated, and wondered at himself for doing so. "'Why, the storm is passing off. I hope it is passing off,' she added, with a curious earnestness. She, too, seemed to be listening to something outside. "'Mr. Clavering,' she asked abruptly, "'I don't suppose you could describe this woman, whom you say came into your chamber, vanished in some mysterious fashion, and later went out through the garden door?' In a general way, I could. I saw her quite distinctly in a flash of lightning. The candle shook in Lady Ursula's hand. You think you would recognize her if you should see her again? It is possible I might, he answered after reflection, wondering at the intensity with which the question was put. The woman was tall, very tall, and of masculine build. I should say she was a gypsy. A gypsy would hardly have the keys to the manor, she demurred. You may as well confess, Mr. Clavering, with a pitiful attempt at raillery, that you had the nightmare and dreamed it all. I can only repeat that everything has occurred precisely as I have related it, he answered in his stiffest manner. She gave an impatient little shrug. It is a very wild tale. 
I beg that you will not mention it to anyone else. If Lady Pevensey should hear of it, nothing would induce her to remain another day, and I cannot be left alone now. She looked so distressed that Mr. Clavering was heartily ashamed of himself for the lack of consideration he had shown her, and after offering apologies for having alarmed her with the story, promised that no mention of it should pass his lips again. She appeared relieved at this, and wishing him a good-night, turned to ascend the circular stairs. "'I shall not even make inquiries among the servants,' she said lightly. "'You see the absurdity of it all. A gypsy provided with keys to the manor?' He admitted the absurdity, but not the nightmare, and returned to his chamber, perplexed and ill-disposed to sleep. He succeeded in discovering the matches, and spent the remainder of the night in vain search for a secret door. Lady Ursula had not shaken his conviction that there was one. He had breakfast with Lord Meldrum and Elsie Baring. The latter was pale and seemed on the verge of tears. Her feverish questioning as to the whereabouts of Robert Sylvester showed why the tragedy had taken such hold upon the light-hearted and insouciant girl. But Meldrum could give her no satisfaction. Robert Sylvester had completely vanished from the knowledge of his acquaintances. Her persistent and pointed questioning, however, finally wrung from Meldrum the reluctant admission that Robert was no longer to be sought for at the country club. He had been debarred from there on account of a brawl in which he had been the chief participator. "'When did this occur?' asked Elsie with quivering lip. "'Tuesday night,' answered Meldrum regretfully. She shivered. Tuesday was the night of the murder. "'At what time?' she persisted. "'Please do not keep anything back from me. It is best that I know all.' Lord Meldrum gave her a look of deep sympathy as he replied gravely. The quarrel took place about eleven o'clock. Robert had been in a sullen mood from the time of his coming there, and the taunts of a man named Belmont, to whom he owed money, roused him to fury. He violently assaulted Belmont, and other members of the club were obliged to separate them. Robert was forcibly ejected, and has not been seen since. Elsie rose, trembling. Lord Meldrum, she begged, tears in her eyes, do not let that detective know of this. He is determined to fasten this crime on Robert, but but I will not believe him guilty. Burton shall learn nothing from me, Meldrum assured her, but if he makes inquiries at the club, he will surely be told. Don't you think you are making too much of this quarrel? After all, it proves nothing against Robert. It proves, she answered white-faced, that he did not go to London that night, and that he might have returned here. Meldrum was silent. "'But if he did return here,' she went on hysterically, "'it was not to kill his brother. I know it was not. Oh, say that you know it, too,' she pleaded. Meldrum appeared genuinely distressed. "'I don't think that there's any real vindictiveness in Robert,' he evaded. The half-heartedness of his reply enraged the distraught girl. "'I do not see why all suspicions should fall on Robert,' she cried. "'You as well as he were far from being on friendly terms with Lord Portstead that night.' and as the secretary asked what were you doing in the gardens at that hour of the night the shot told meldrum compressed his lips and a forbidding expression crossed his face what i was doing in the gardens miss baring is solely my affair he answered coldly elsie baring's girlish face grew hard and distrustful i think lord meldrum she said slowly and deliberately that you know more about the murder than you wish to admit with that she left the room her young figure uncompromisingly erect. For a moment Meldrum sat staring after her, as though not comprehending the full significance of her words. Then horror dawned in his eyes, and he turned with quick appeal to Mr. Clavering, 
who had been a silent and amazed witness of the scene. "'Clovering, old fellow,' pleaded Meldrum, with a trace of his ingratiating, boyish smile. "'You don't believe I had any hand in Portstead's death, do you?' Mr. Clavering twisted uncomfortably on his chair. The conscientious honesty of his nature had often caused him distress, but never more so than now. In Meldrum's presence it was impossible to believe harm of the big, boyish, lovable man, and yet so many of his actions were inexplicable and even suspicious. Meldrum noticed his hesitancy. "'By Jove, Clavering, you don't think—' "'I think,' Mr. Clavering hastily interposed, "'that you ought to explain what you were doing in the gardens at two o'clock in the morning.' Again Meldrum compressed his lips, and his eyes grew severe and determined. "'I cannot explain.' "'I am sorry,' was all Mr. Clavering could manage to utter. At that moment Harry Brooks came precipitately into the room. At sight of Meldrum his face darkened, and he turned to withdraw. "'I hope you will pardon me, Mr. Clavering,' he said stiffly. "'But I understood that you had finished your breakfast. I came here for mine, at Lady Ursula's request, in order to save the servants trouble at this most distressing time.' His small, vindictive eyes were fastened on Meldrum as he said this. Meldrum advanced toward him. "'Brooks,' he said frankly, "'I take it we both lost our heads a bit the other night. Shall we shake hands and forswear hard feelings?' Smiling, he held out his hand. Brooks flushed darkly. "'I do not care to shake hands with you, Lord Meldrum,' he replied pointedly. Mr. Clavering expected to see fire flash in Meldrum's eyes, but instead a pained expression came into them. "'You misjudge me, Brooks,' was all he said, and quietly walked from the room. End of chapter 9